Father in heaven, we give you thanks for our time together. Thank you for this space. Thank you that it's warm. Uh, thank you for uh, your grace and your kindness in providing heat for us. And we look forward to spring and summer, uh, your seasons um, there as well, marks of your grace in our lives. Thank you for your word, your living word, uh, that we together sit under tonight. I pray for your help by the power of your spirit to um, preach it faithfully. Uh, and we pray for soft hearts, sharp minds, and we pray that um, what you teach us we would put into action, that we would uh, live out the obedience that flows from faith. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so our text is 1 Timothy 6, <coughs> starting at the end of the, the bottom half of uh, verse 2, going through to verse 10. I'll read it out. It says, These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I think the Lord wants to say two things to us in particular tonight. I think the Lord wants to tell us that false teachers are a world of trouble. And I I think he wants to tell us that love of money is a world of trouble. Those two things are a world of trouble. And I think that what we're going to face uh, tonight is we're going to be confronted with the way God sees these two different things. How does God see false teachers and how does God see the love of money? And the hope is that our hearts and our minds would be conformed to God's way of thinking and that that would serve to protect us from wandering away from the truth. Because both of these things, and really the force of what Paul says tonight, is a warning. It's mostly a warning. 
you might notice that he doesn't actually instruct Timothy to do anything in particular in these verses that we have uh, before us tonight. The first time we get an instruction is actually in verse 11 when he says, but as for you, so in contrast to what I've just said, Paul says, O man of God, flee these things. So that's really the force of what he wants Timothy to do in response to this little um, unit of teaching here about false teachers being a world of trouble and the love of money being a world of trouble. <coughs> so, that's, that's the shape of what we'll do. We'll think first about false teachers and then we'll think about uh, the love of money. But before we do that, I wanted to say two little things. And that will hopefully help us to see why we need to hear these words and, and then why it's okay that we spend a whole evening of this whole sermon on two warnings, primarily. So first thing I want to do is just uh, look at this question um, of warnings as a motivation. Because some of us can balk straight away by thinking there's not actually much here about the Lord Jesus and about what he's done for us on the cross. It doesn't really feel like a grace passage, as it were, does it? It doesn't really feel like a let's rejoice in the riches of the gospel passage. Right? We've got a concentrated chunk of time on warnings. And I just want to flag up, really, simply to say, this is the way that the Bible speaks, often. And so, I'm just affirming at this point that warnings are part of the way that God motivates us and part of the way that God keeps us on track, walking uh, faithfully in following him. The scriptures are loaded with warnings. Jesus will offer many warnings. Beware of greed, he says in Luke chapter 12. And Paul likewise will spend plenty of time in warnings. And secondly, it's just to say that next week there'll be loads of promise and the two go together. And it can be unhealthy for us to either be too fixated and spend all our time living by warnings or to spend all our time living by promise. I think the two go together. And so that's just to say, this is okay what we're doing here, being warned by Paul. And so let's let that word go deep. The second is, just to, again to help us to see why this is important, is to say the, the reason why these words are so important and the reason why we need to hear these warnings, and in particular such strong warnings as we're going to see, is because the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high for Timothy here as a minister of the gospel and the stakes are high for us as the church. I'll just flag up why. Why is it so, why are the stakes so high for Timothy? The reason why this is important to listen to for Timothy is because he's been entrusted with the gospel. Paul's writing to a preacher of the gospel, a leader in the church, who has been entrusted with the words of life. He has been given a message that talks about Christ coming to save sinners. That's chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, this is a faithful word, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
The stakes are high because Timothy has got such a good message. He's got a message of grace for people. He's got a message where sinners can be saved and reconciled to God. Timothy has also been entrusted with a message of urgency. In chapter 2, in verse 5, Paul says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. There's an urgency about the message. It's an amazing message. Christ came into the world to save sinners. But it's an urgent message. There's actually one mediator between God and man. It is of utmost importance that Timothy hold on to and guard the deposit that's been entrusted to him because he holds out the only way to be saved. Christ saving sinners is not one way amongst many, it's the only way, so there's urgency. And the reward is eternal life. Chapter 1 verse 16, Paul has told Timothy, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to who? To those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Timothy has got a message that has been entrusted to him. It's a message of grace where Christ saves sinners. A message of urgency. There's only one mediator. And it's a message of massive reward. There is eternal life held out for people. This is incredible what the church holds on to. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, Paul would say. And the church, we, have a role to play in that. Why? Because as Paul has already told Timothy, the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. The way that we conduct ourselves, the confession that we make, supports the truth. And it's the truth that sets people free. So there's a massive state. Positively, the stakes are high because we've got such a good message for people. We have such a great treasure in our midst. Timothy, guard the deposit that has been entrusted to you. That's why you feel the urgency in this letter because the message is so good. But there's also urgency because we live in a time of wandering away. Unbelievably, with a message like this, people can still be distracted by other things that sound fancy. People can still wander away from the faith. And actually that wandering away is so serious that it can actually cause shipwreck of the faith. The faith can be lost. Just to give a couple of examples of that through the letter, we see there in chapter 1 verse 19, that's what's happened to Hymenaeus and Alexander. He says, because they've um, neglected or rejected a good conscience and holding on to the faith that was given to them, and because they've not waged a good warfare, they have made a shipwreck of their faith. That is so sad. It's a time when people are wandering away. Not only so, even elders, Paul can say, in chapter 3 verse 7, they need to be thought well of by outsiders so that they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Even for elders, there are dangers 
that they wouldn't be caught in the snare of the devil. Paul's talking to Timothy in a time where the devil is on, is on the loose still. Not only does he catch, uh, potentially catch the elders, he's already started to um, catch uh, some younger widows who, because of worldly uh, desires, have wandered away from their faith. That's what happened in chapter 5. He says, uh, so I would have, um, Paul's giving advice to Timothy about the best way forward in the situation he's in, and he says, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, because some have already strayed after Satan. There's a danger, he says, that what happens is, verse 11, they, their passions draw them away from Christ and eventually they abandon their faith. We don't know all the particular details about exactly how that works and why that causes them to abandon their faith, but I'm just pointing out at this point that, that, that in this letter and in the time that Paul's speaking to, there are people who wander away from the faith. Chapter 4, verse 1, I'll just mention two more, just so we can see this and really feel the force of this, because this is a, these warnings that are given to us, we need to feel them and we need to feel them in this context. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, that's the present times that we're in, some will depart from the faith. They'll depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And the last one, I'll mention is chapter 6, verse 20, where he, where he, where he talks to uh, Timothy right at the end of the letter. It says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Why? For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Can you feel the force of that? The letter's riddled with it, isn't it? That's really in Paul's mind as he's writing this letter. The stakes are high, Timothy. You've been entrusted with the gospel, a message of eternal life and grace for sinners. Amazing. But we're in a time where people are wandering away. And so, in that context, Paul is saying these two warnings for us. Two things that Timothy needs to be aware of and that we need to be aware of as believers in Christ. False teachers are a world of trouble and love of money is a world of trouble. Flee these things. First thing, false teachers are a world of trouble. And we're going to look here just at the first half uh, of our verses tonight. <coughs> Paul says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So who are these people that Paul has in mind and that he wants Timothy to be aware of? We see it in verse 3. They are the people who teach a different doctrine and they don't agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they don't agree with the teaching that accords with godliness, or the godly teaching, as you might have in your translation. Those are the two things that they don't do. They, they teach the wrong thing, but critically, they're not agreeing with the words of Jesus, the words that come from Jesus, the words that are about Jesus, or 
with that body of teaching that has been handed on through the apostles. That body of teaching that leads to godly living. That's what they've, that's these particular people, that's what they're giving up. They've turned away from that message that has been handed down, that apostolic message. And Paul says, when you see that kind of person, Timothy, I want you to know that underneath that, underneath that rejection and underneath that false teaching that comes out, that other teaching that they give, is a heart that is astray. And that heart and the pursuits of that heart lead to all kinds of troubles. Okay? You see that? That's what Paul's going to see. That's the person, and then he's saying, underneath, this is what's really going on. He says, look what's underneath. He said, that person is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Don't be fooled, Timothy. Outwardly, they may look impressive, but in reality, they know nothing. And they're puffed up. Now then he says, and we might find this a little bit odd, that he says they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Is Paul saying then that every single person that disagrees with the teaching about Jesus has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words? I think that what's happening here is Paul is speaking into a unique situation. He's speaking into a situation that he's aware of. Let's remember at the beginning of the letter he said to Timothy, this is why I left you. Right? This is why I left you, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Right? So he, it's, a, it's a context in which Paul is familiar, he's aware of. And interestingly, one of the threads through this letter, one of the things that is a distraction and a concern for Paul is, is stuff that is interesting, we might say, but not connected to the Gospel. And we've seen that a few times through the letter already. We saw it at the beginning, where Paul said, watch out for people who teach... No, sorry, he says at the beginning of the letter, charge certain people not to teach any different doctrine. And then he says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Right? Which promotes speculations. Can you see how they're distracted by something interesting but not the gospel, not the faith. And then, uh, over in uh, chapter 4, he said to Timothy, (coughs) in verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. And then here, he's talking about controversy and quarrels. And then right at the end of the letter, in chapter 6, verse 20, he says, watch out, Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Can you see that little thread running through the letter there? I think that there's a specific situation that Paul's talking about and he's able, therefore, to speak directly into it and say, Timothy, you know those people there, those certain people that that are not listening to the sound words of Jesus or the faith that was handed on and that accords with godliness, that leads to a godly living, those people have actually got an unhealthy craving for controversy. I think that there's a, a slightly more specific issue that Paul is writing into at this point. 
and, he's, and he knows that Timothy's going to understand what he's talking about and understand the kind of scene that these guys are into and attracted by and he wants Timothy to watch out, out for that. I think from our, our, our point of view, what does that mean for us? <coughs> I think we can take away a couple of things. One of them is that while we not, might not find ourselves in precisely the same situation, I think we can see spot the principle. The key issue underlying it was that they were, were attracted by things which, as I've said, were interesting, but they weren't the gospel. And it can be really easy, before you know it, you're sliding away and you're thinking about things that actually don't have any organic connection to Christ crucified and resurrected and ascended for us. And what ends up happening is those things become a distraction, they suck you away from that gospel message that you've been entrusted to, and before you know it, you find yourself, as these guys are, look what he says what they produce. He says, actually, when you lose your focus... And you start getting caught up in controversies and quarrels about words. Look what they produce. Envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. They produce a world of trouble, Timothy. Don't get caught up in that scene. Don't get caught up in that stuff. And then he says, and actually, there's another danger there. And it's a common danger amongst false teachers. They think that godliness is a means of gain. They think that godliness is a means of gain. That's a common thread amongst false teachers. And so Paul's able to say it into the scene that he's aware of. But probably also at that point, because that seems to be common amongst false teaching, where, there's, where, there's a, where, where godliness itself is not an end in itself, where godliness becomes in, comes in service to something else, watch out, beware of that. The, 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 the antennas should go, the radar should go up. We should say, there's something not quite right here. Godliness seems to be in service of material gain. Watch out for that, Timothy. I think we can take those things away uh, for ourselves. And I guess one question, or one question I'll pose to us, is, do we take false teaching that seriously? How seriously do we take false teaching? Would we be ready to use such strong language to describe the the heart and the real motives and the inner desire of people that are not listening to the words of Jesus? and the faith that has been handed on, the apostolic faith, would we be ready to say such strong language? Are we aware of the human heart, the human nature, the real depravity of people that don't submit to Christ? I think by being able to see things the way that Paul does, because he's aware of the stakes, Because he's got a clear view of the human heart, he's able to say, Timothy, false teachers, you spot them because they don't submit to Jesus. They are a world of trouble. 
So take them really seriously. That's our first point. Paul has kind of given a little segue, and we're not going to talk about verses six and seven, six to eight, sorry, for the minute. I want to come back to those at the end. Because he's kind of given a little segue. He's flagged up that one of the issues amongst the false teachers, and common amongst them, is that they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. And that is where Paul uses that as a little step to talk about that's this second danger which is the love of money. I feel it's almost like Paul has he's mentioned gain, right? And then he's got, I've got to say more about that. I'm going to say something else about that because that's a, a real risk for you, Timothy. <coughs> Here's what I want to point out. I want to draw out for us to help us to see that the desire to be rich or love of money starts uh, sorry, is the um, descends down to a very bad place by stages. And I think that will help us to appreciate the danger of it. Look with me and follow along and you'll spot it. He says Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich, sorry, he says, those who want to get rich, look what happens, look what happens first, fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires. Okay? That's the first step. The first step is that it starts with the desire to get rich. And what the desire to get rich does is that pushes you into into temptations and traps and many foolish and harmful desires. Paul's saying to Timothy, the desire to be rich is the first desire. And that desire actually descends down into other foolish and harmful desires. It's by stages. Right? And those desires, those foolish and harmful desires, they plunge people into ruin and destruction. And I think it's helpful to see that there's a couple of stages there so that we don't get caught up. As soon as we spot that desire to be rich, we should be wary. This can lead to other problems and those other problems overwhelm people and plunge you into ruin and destruction. And we can see that same idea of the core issue leading to other problems in verse 10. That's the same idea that he's got there. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You see that? It's the root that grows up and bears a very bad tree. Look how bad that tree is. He says some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul 
Paul uses two words in verse 9. And they're words that are used at other points in the Bible to talk about being destroyed in hell. And I think that's how serious Paul has it in his mind and I think that's the end goal that he's talking about. And the reason I say that and I mention it to us now is because I don't want us to think, oh yeah, the love of money is not good, could lead to some bad desires and then I might be in like a bit of a pickle. No, 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 no. They plunge people into ruin and destruction and those words, combined with this idea that they've wandered from the faith, is actually to say, they will send you to hell. It's so serious that if you allow that love for money to take root in your heart, the end result is an eternity away from God. Eternal destruction in the fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. It couldn't be more serious. It's a very, very strong warning. It's a very, very... Paul has really raised the stakes. He's talking seriously to Timothy and he's saying, love of money is a world of trouble. <coughs> Flee, O man of God. Flee these things. That's been rather sobering. It's a rather sobering message. It's two warnings to Noah. That's what we've heard. False teachers are a world of trouble and love of money is a world of trouble. There in verses 6 to 8, <coughs> just to speak about the, um, what Paul has positively to say for us. Paul says to Timothy, look, if you try to use godliness as a means to gain, it goes really bad. Here's what you should do instead. You should aim to add to your godliness, or if there's anything that you're going to pursue, pursue godliness with contentment. Pursue godliness with contentment. Godliness as sufficient in itself. And godliness here is knowledge of God, it's life with God, it's living your life God's way under God's rule. That itself, if you're content with that, that's real worship, that's real religion, and that is great gain for you. That right there is something to pursue. If we're looking to pursue something there, or here in these verses, I think he just gives a hint in this direction, Pursue contentment. Pursue godliness with contentment. And then he gives these two reasons. Because we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Paul's directing Timothy at that point to his mortality. Reminding him of God's grace from the beginning. You, you actually didn't bring anything into the world and you can't actually take anything out of it. Don't forget eternal life, Timothy. He's not... He's, 
Paul's not going right into eternal life at this point. He's going to get there later. But at this point, he's just giving a nod in that direction. Don't forget mortality. We can't actually take anything out of this world. We live our lives in this present age as lives of simplicity and lives of generosity and lives of contentment as we worship Christ. And such simplicity, doesn't he say, verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Food and clothing. That's a good word for us. How easy it is to get caught up in thinking that food and clothing are just what we are entitled to. Oh, we just deserve food and clothing. Surely everybody has food and clothing. We should have like a whole bunch of other things. For the holidays and the entertainment, etc., etc. Paul actually says, if we've got food and clothing, we'll be content. Because it's actually better than anything we had when we came into the world. And we're not going to take anything else out of the world either. Just before we close, I just want to give an exhortation to any of us, maybe here or anybody listening in online, who might be in the grip of the love of money. It really is an easy thing for us to desire more and more and more. If that's you, (coughs) can I say two things? Firstly, don't forget that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Don't forget that we serve a God who sent his Son to die for your sins. Who was raised to life for your justification. So that your standing with God is not based on what you've done or haven't done or how good you've been today but on the fact that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life in your place, died the death that you deserve to die, and he gives you his righteousness as a free gift by faith. Don't forget that Jesus Christ bought you with his blood and washes away our sins. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Don't now start thinking that you're going to fix this problem in your strength by cleaning yourself up now. Don't forget, don't start thinking now, oh, I couldn't repent because I've done something so bad now. Don't forget, grace is how you started and you carry on by grace. Fresh today. Don't turn away from the cross today. Grace is how you started And can I just read these words from uh, Revelation chapter 3. He's talking to uh, the church in Laodicea who have gone lukewarm. I think they've become apathetic. And he says, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. This is the Lord Jesus talking to the church. He says, Therefore, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. There's a way to 
Think or feel that you are rich in this present life and actually, in the eyes of the Lord, be completely pitiable, completely blind. Don't forget to see your life from from Christ's perspective. Look what he then says though. This is a good word, right? For people who have have got a bit of a sting there. That's the first sting. Ouch! Jesus has spoken to us in strong words. Look what he says though. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Really rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourselves yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, that might be you now, hearing a word of of rebuke, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. That's what Jesus says to you. It's It's an invitation. Why? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's for you too, believer. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's an invitation for Jesus right now. Even if you are caught in the grip of either of these things, sucked away by false teaching, caught up in the love of money, Jesus stands and says, if you just open the door, remember that I came into the world to save sinners and I will come in and eat with you and you will eat with me. We'll have fellowship, we'll dine together. I'm I'm still here standing at the door and I want to have a relationship with you. I say those words just because I really want to encourage you not to to not let sin overwhelm you. Don't let sin overwhelm you. Turn to Christ and enjoy his grace once more. We're going to finish our time there. I'm just going to say a prayer. Father in heaven, thank you that you have spoken these warnings to us. Thank you that you've reminded us uh, of the wonder of the message that we have as a church, of the dangers that surround us in an age where people are wandering away from the faith. Thank you for warning us about the danger of false teachers and false teaching and of the danger of the love of money. Please help us, we pray, to hear this warning And please help us to repent where needed. We thank you that you do speak to us hard words sometimes because you love us and you desire that all people will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We bless you and thank you for our time in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs and I've chosen the song It Is Well With My Soul as a way to try to capture that idea of uh, contentment Um, and hopefully there will be some words there that will remind us of gospel truth and of what we have uh, in Christ.